we've been kind of going through this whole little series on battling unbelief. And, and I wanted to interject today just a, a little bit of, of hope in all that we've kind of been going through and wrestling with. And understand that we still can battle unbelief in our lives by not, or sorry, we can battle unbelief in our lives by believing in the promises of God. But I want to give you a little bit of a hope today in, well, about who you are and what it is that makes you unique and special. And I know that this all comes across as a little flower. You go, oh, unique and special. That's just the way the Bible and every Christian says that I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to look at myself as beautiful, etc. The, the, the reality of it is, is if you look at your life in accordance to the way the word of God defines you and your life, you're amazing. And I want you to realize that today. If you can throw off all of this unbelief in the promises of God and you can see your life in accordance to the word of God and how the word of God defines you, you'll find that you're amazing. And that, to me, is very significant. But we got to start off someplace. And so we got to start off in, in what I feel is probably a verse that when you read it at first context, it's a little bit constrictive. So let's go ahead and do that. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians today. And this is going to be kind of the jump off point of where we're at. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're just going to be going into verse 17. One of the most wonderful and hopeful things you can know about yourself and your life is captured in this rather unassuming and simple sentence. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now, again, this verse might hit us as just a little bit constrictive. When you read into it and you understand what this passage is saying, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. If you look at your life right now as an assignment, with all the circumstances that make you you and the spaces that you are in, this can kind of feel, even at times, a little bit oppressive. And we know what our culture thinks about oppression. And we know that our culture is constantly speaking against this and we're saying, whoa, you tell me that I have to stay in the space that I'm in? Especially if your, your circumstances are a little bit more difficult or painful. But that would miss the heart of God's intention for us. You see, your life is a gift. And if you take this passage at the very core of what it's saying to us, your life is actually an assignment from God. And that should infuse our lives, whether they're good or bad, sweet or bitter, unless if we have prosperity or poverty, if there's comfort or suffering, it should infuse our lives with this unfathomable dignity, purpose, and glory. You see, when you read this passage, you get the very strong essence and sense that you're not an accident. Neither are you a ruined potential. Run off the trails because you were dealt a poor genetic hand of cards, or you suffered at others' abuse, or made foolish and sinful choices that you feel put you beyond the hope of useful calling in Jesus' kingdom. See, this passage should provide you hope and speak to the contrary. 
You exist because God wants you to exist. And you are who you are, what you are, how you are, where you are, and when you are, because God made you. He wove you together in your mother's womb. He called you to be his own, and he assigned you a place to live. The greatest thing that you can do with your life then is to live to the hilt, the adventurous assignment that God has given you. Think about this for a moment. Let each person lead the life to which God has called him. Because God has made your entire life your calling. We tend to think of our calling as vocational. Some significant job that gives us, or God gives us to do with an in our identifiable and preferably esteemed title. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's a career vocation. Perhaps it's a, a non-career vo vocation in a church or in, in ministry. I am currently going through the last days of uh, some of our grade 12 school year, and they're constantly coming saying, I just don't know what the Lord is calling me to. I don't know what my calling is. Should I go to this university or that university? Should I think about this job or that job? I just don't know what the Lord is calling me to. And this passage right here indicates to each and every one of us exactly what that calling is. It's your life. Your life is your calling. Where you are at right now in this space, doing whatever it is that you're doing, that is your calling. I don't want it to be too limiting, and I don't want us to think that just our vocation is our calling. It could be a part of our calling, but our calling encompasses more than just our vocation. Our primary core calling is to love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves. See, this calling incorporates everyone we interact with, or perhaps comes to mind. In everything we do, from morning until night, which is why John Kelvin said, God commands each one of us to consider his calling in every act of life. This means that our calling isn't behind the, the, sorry, behind, uh, the door we're waiting for God to open for us someday though that may be a part of tomorrow's calling, our calling is to love God today, to love the neighbors God places in or on our roads today, and to do well what God gives us and our hands to do today. That's one reason Jesus tells us, do not be anxious about tomorrow in Matthew 6, 34. You see, you have enough to do Today, tomorrow is going to take care of itself. Your calling is today. In fact, I was reading Jerry Bridges, uh, a book by Jerry Bridges. And uh, in that book, he, he says, he gets this notion or this connection or this context that, that ultimately draws our attention. The devil draws our attention to the things that we've experienced in our past that kind of discount us from ministry, or he drives us to fears in the future, and he says he wants you to focus on those things because God is the most real 
right now. Because you're here right now. You're not in the future. You're not in the past. You are here in this moment. And if the devil can keep you focused on a place in the future or the place in the past where you no longer are, then you're no longer in the presence of the Lord right now. And Jerry Bridges encourages us to be in this space right now. Because this is where God is most real and is going to speak to us in the most profound ways if we allow him to take this now as our calling. Now, our callings, callings, and I'll put that in quotation, vocations and those types of things that the Lord is going to have us to do, that may change over time. The space that we occupy may change over time. We may face various circumstantial and health changes. All of these alter the space that we are in, but none of them alter our calling. Our true calling is our life. The Spirit tells us through Paul in this passage in 1 Corinthians, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him to, or assigned to him. Now, perhaps you're thinking and you're sitting in this space right now, and you're looking at me and you say, Mike, you don't know me. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know what I've come through. You don't know what I've had to deal with. You don't know what I'm dealing with right now in this moment and all that I battle with in the struggle of my mind or what I've faced in terms of abuse. And, and I do not want to sound insensitive. I really don't. And I want to sympathize and empathize the best that I can. But when I hear what Paul is saying in this passage, I want to be clear that circumstances don't matter. What you find yourself in is not the issue. Although it may be hard and it may be challenging, circumstances don't define your calling. Because your life is your calling. You see, when Paul wrote this to this Corinthian church, he wrote this to people who were married or betrothed, single, he wrote this to widows and bond servants, circumcised and uncircumcised, and that was just a sampling. If you will, think of the bond servants. They were the physical property of another human being or a human master. And yet Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, as you continue on down to verse 21, he says, do not be concerned about it. Don't be concerned about the circumstance you find yourself in. He says, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. What Paul was, meant, or was saying here was that the circumstances, even very difficult ones, don't disqualify someone from God's assignment. If we can extricate ourselves honorably from such circumstances, by all means we should. If we can find a little bit of rest and a little bit of peace from the hardship and the heartache that we, we have, then by all means, Paul says, do it. But if not, if you're going through a valley or you're going through a struggle and you want to find out why or what or the rationale behind it, let's just consider God's assignment in it. Where you are at right now, at least for today, be faithful. And again, I don't mean to sound insensitive, but I want us to be clear. If we are in hard circumstances, 
we can be with God in those circumstances. And that, what we are in, can be a part of our praise and our glory to him. Now, I want to sort of expand on this. Let's consider God's assignment, at least for today, and let's just be faithful in this assignment. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, we read, Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a God or with a God will as or God's will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. And I, I want you to think about Paul's various circumstances. He gives us a pretty extensive list in 2 Corinthians. Paul was imprisoned, violently persecuted, ill, exposed to the cold, hungry, shipwrecked, betrayed, homeless, poorly dressed, mocked, maligned, distrusted, spiritually oppressed, afflicted, sometimes despairing of life, and finally killed. And to Paul, it was all glorious. All of it. Every moment that he lived, he gave glory to God for his circumstances. It didn't mean he liked them. But he gave glory to God in them. Because Paul's life was hidden with Christ in God. And since the life that, 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 that is Christ, Christ is that life, had given him Paul eternal life, death could only gain him a whole new level of life. And again, as John Calvin said, we should all regard our particular situation as a post assigned to us by God. Lest in the course of our lives, we flit to and fro and drift aimlessly about. See your life today as an assignment from God. And stay faithful at your post until the Lord moves you. See, here's the bedrock of the truth behind 1 Corinthians 7, 17. God, the creator and sustainer of all that exists, is the one who has chosen us. And bestowed on us the exceedingly rare honor to live here and now. He has assigned us a life to lead, and there is no more wonderful, exciting, hopeful, joyful, fulfilling, joy-producing sense of life purpose than to realize that we are who we are, what we are, how we are, where we are, and when we are by the assignment of the Lord. People may not have acted in accordance with the Lord's will and caused you to be in the space that you are in, but the reality is that all our lives, the lives we lead, can be our mission field and ultimately is the life we have been called to. You have been given an unfathomable gift of life. You have been given the infinitely more valuable gift of eternal life. You have been given the astounding and extremely rare privilege of receiving an assignment from God. There is no higher calling than to lead the life that the Lord has assigned to you. 
Embrace your assignment. This great adventure that is your life and press it to the limits. So the question then that we need to ask ourselves is how do we not take this life that we've been given and waste it? Or on a, on a smaller scale, how do we not even waste this summer or this day or this moment? You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a huge difference. You don't have to know a lot of things. I don't know a lot of things. And the older I get, the less I know. And that's not just because I'm forgetting things, Randall. But it's because I'm aware uh, more and more of the things that I do not know. And I have to work hard not to care about the, all of that, lest I try to know them and then lose the grip on everything that I actually do know. But you, you do need to know a few great things that really matter. And be willing to live for them while with all your might and even die for them if you have to. So I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking of just your average person here, right? Your average grandma or mom or dad, uh, happy Father's Day, by the way. Yeah, I got to throw that in there. Sorry. Just the average person in this room. I think if you, you look around, we got a lot of average people. That's not a knock on you. Please don't, I'm just average. No, we're, we're a bunch of average people. We won't be famous on the global sense. Well, at least I don't perceive myself as being famous on the global sense anytime soon. I mean, I don't dress like it, all right? I don't have a good voice, and that's okay. That's not a part of my assignment, praise the Lord. But we're just average people. In order to have a durable difference in the world that lasts till eternity, you don't need to be anything but average, you don't need to be anything but you. You don't need to know a lot of things. You have to be mastered by a few things, a few great things. If you want your life to count, if you want the ripple effect to go to eternity, then you want to give yourself over to a few great things. You don't have to have a high IQ. You don't have to have good looks or riches. In fact, riches will most certainly get in the way. Not necessarily, but almost certainly. Jesus said you don't have to come from a fine family. You don't have to go to a fine school. In fact, for a lot of those guys, they didn't have to go to any school. You don't have to discover a few great, or sorry, all you have to do is discover a few great, majestic, uh, obvious, glorious things, and then be set on fire by them. That's what makes life count. So with the remaining time that we have, let's just do some discovery, shall we? First, the first thing that we all have to discover is that there is absolutely, there is an absolutely sovereign, transcendently pure, self-existing, self-sustaining, incomparably beautiful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-governing, all-upholding, all-defining, infinite, valuable, all-sustaining God. I like that. You can spend a lifetime just coming to terms with this God. Who he is. That he is. And that changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, it just, it changes 
everything. So you meet this God. He starts coming alive and you, you now know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you, you know if your life is going to have a purpose that is durable and lasts into eternity and isn't wasted. You, he's got to tell you what it is. If you're going to have that kind of life, you got to get that life from the all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty, all-sustaining God in order for it to make sense. He has got to define it. Upon this revelation, there is no way you're going to wake up in the morning and say, I think I'm going to do this. I got this. You're kidding. He's God. You are absolutely 100% dependent on him for everything you are and everything that you decide what to do with your life when you wake up. You're dependent immediately on him. When you go to bed, you're still dependent on him. He's God. Lately, I've been, I've been loving to think about this. I get up early and I, I sit out on my deck and I turn on the fire table and I sit uh, or I sit at my computer preparing for talks like this. And I just, I love it. I love to think about God's godness. Because when you sit down and you begin to be saturated with the very essence of who God is, it just transforms you. I listened to a talk just recently uh, from a pastor in Innisfail, Len Nation, and he was going through the Omnis, and, and he just brought to my attention, although this, the, I, I've understood this for a long time, that God is all-loving, he, he used the word omni-amorous, which was a new twist on that word. I just love that word. Omni-amorous, it, it even sounds like I'd have some sort of an intellect if I use that word. But it's the all-loving nature of God combined with his all-knowing, all-power, omnipresence, all of that wrapped together in understanding, like, how does this not blow our minds? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't blow our minds because I... I don't think we think about it. The church hasn't been thinking about it for a very long time. I mean, it's, it's written throughout scripture. He just jumped to the book of Isaiah. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who was called by not my name, who I created for my glory, whom I, I formed and made. We're his. He is the sustainer. Again in Isaiah, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should many name, my, my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Everything we are and have and do are from God and for God, period. You don't want to waste a calling you don't want to waste a summer on trivial, meaningless things. Don't waste this moment on recognizing anything other than or reflecting on the godness of God. Then find a way to serve and glorify him in his godness. However, there is an obstacle that gets in the way. It gets in the way of my fully understanding the true reality of God's godness. And I'm ashamed to say this because this is my old nature. 
This is the flesh that I live in, but that obstacle is that I hate God. See, I want to be God. I don't want to live for anybody else. Now we're going to say here, uh, and so I want to be God and self-denial is not in my bones. Making me less and somebody else greater, that is not a part of my natural fabric. I don't want anybody telling me what I can like and not like. I don't want anybody telling me what I can do and not do or whom I can love and not love. Get out of my face, God. This is my flesh's response. That's a pretty big obstacle. And it has another piece that is attached to it, and that is the wrath of God is on me because of it. But this leads us to our second discovery. Jesus Christ, the Son of God incarnate, not only becomes the means of my seeing and savoring the glory of God, but in the very act of overcoming this obstacle of me wanting to be God, becomes himself the apex of the glory I couldn't see. Jesus Christ enters the world as the God-man, and he does something that covers and conquers my depravity, absorbs the wrath of God so that I can now see and savor what I was designed to see and savor. And in the very doing of that redeeming work, he becomes the apex of the glory that I was designed to see because of what he has done. I get to bask in the richness of his glory. And in turn, that should push me to reveal that glory to others. If you don't want to waste your calling, you'll spend your time trying to reveal the apex of glory that has been revealed to you. The greatest heights of glory to as many as you can. Third discovery. The unwasted life, the unwasted calling is a life lived to show that Jesus is more precious than life itself. You know how Paul said it in Philippians. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Jesus prayed in John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. That's it. Isn't it? That's that's it. If you want a reward beyond seeing Christ in his glory, there isn't one. You can't get greater than glory or the glory of the crucified slain lamb of God whose name is all over the book and all over eternity. You get to be a part of that. And that, that, should just transform us. So I I plead with you. Your life is your calling. This right here now, where you find yourself in, 
Whether you're spraying down lawns, driving a bus, teaching at a school, or going to school, your life is your calling. And I plead with you, don't waste it. Look to Jesus, find in him and his suffering for you the apex of the glory of God's grace. Find that in him. His glory in what he did on the cross, then embrace it. Be so satisfied in him that you live and die proving that he is your supreme treasure. Be willing to sell everything just to purchase that field where that pearl is. That's our calling. That's what you've been called to and what I've been called to. Now let's go do it. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for all that you are. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, whose death and resurrection made it possible for us to be in right relationship with you. Lord God, you've placed on us a calling by simply giving us life and calling us your own. Lord God, may we as a church just reflect on your godness. May we recognize your great and rich mercy and grace as was demonstrated to us on the cross. May we see that daily because our flesh wants to be in opposition to you. But Lord God, as we reflect on that cross, that should drive us to be difference makers and change makers in our surroundings, in those people that you brought into our lives for us to be with. Allow us to be a reflection of that amazing glory of grace. And may we not take our eyes off the prize that is spending an eternity in your presence. And may we run with diligence the race that is set out for us. So that when we come to the end of things, we can say that we finished the race strong. And we can hear those also longing words, Lord God, that we all want to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. May that be enough of a prize for us, Lord God. May it be about you and your glory. Not not Penhold Church of Hope, not, not anything other than you revealed, Lord God. We thank you and praise you again for all of this. Through the wonderful and holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.